This is America on the Road, winner of the International Automotive Media Conference Gold Medal Award for Radio, and now in its 25th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. Tesla is facing an investigation by the SEC in connection with claims of a whistleblower, and we'll have the details for you. Meanwhile, the continuing drama about who will lead Volkswagen might have a resolution in the next week, and we'll tell you all about that. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at MercuryInsurance.com. Hi, I'm Jack D. Red. With me is co-host Chris Teague. Chris is across the country from me in uh, the frigid climes of uh, Maine. I'm in Southern California, where it's not all that warm either. Uh, but uh, Chris, thanks for, so much for being with us. We appreciate you co-hosting. Thank you for having me, Jack. It's starting to feel and look a little bit like Christmas around here. Hopefully we will get some real snowfall before the, the season is over with, though. Is there snow on the ground there, or have you been dusted with snow? What's What's been going on in that <laughs> We we were dusted and uh, a couple of messy little bit of ice here and there, but nothing nothing substantial so far. I guess that's a good thing. I mean, I always feel like we in California have snow where it belongs, which is up in the mountains where we can get to it, but we don't have to live with it on a day-to-day basis. Uh, so that's one of the good things we have going for us here. Uh, a good thing we have going for us on the show is a terrific guest, Our special guest this time around is David Partlow. He is the chief engineer on the all-new 2022 Jeep Grand Cherokee, the SUV. I sat down with him in Moab, Utah. Well, boy, it was gorgeous there. And uh, we had uh, a very nice chat about the new Grand Cherokee. It is quite a capable vehicle. So uh, we look forward to that, bringing that discussion to you. So, Chris, what were you driving this past week? Well, I had the perfect vehicle for this time of the year uh, with all the uh, ice and non-existent snow we're getting. I had the 2022 Subaru Forester Wilderness. Ah, very cool. I look forward to hearing your report on that. I had my second minivan in a row, and I know you'll be excited about that, Chris. I had the 2022 Toyota Sienna. It's an all-hybrid vehicle. That's the only way you can get it. And I'll tell you how it stacks up against the 2022 Kia Carnival that we talked about last week and the other minivans. It's getting to be a a pretty hot segment. It's kind of amazing. Before we do that, though, we will have the week's latest automotive news for you and a lot of drama there as well. So a lot coming up on this edition of America on the Road. Thanks so much for being with us with Chris Teague. This is Jack Nerad, and we're really pleased you're with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack B. Red back with you, along with Chris Teague. And uh, thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. It is latest news time, and we have some very fascinating news, I think, for you this time around. We try to have interesting news for you, but I think it's particularly good and juicy uh, this week. We have a, a story on Tesla, and of course, that's always juicy. In this case, there is a whistleblower who has filed a complaint against Tesla, saying that it it failed to properly notify its shareholders and the public of fire risks. But interestingly enough, not with its vehicles, but with the solar panel systems that it also builds. That's kind of gone under the radar recently. It used to be a fairly big thing, but uh, there is a former uh, Toyota executive who then went to work for Tesla, 
and then apparently was fired. His name is Stephen Hankis. He filed a whistleblower complaint saying that these things have a tendency to catch fire, and Tesla hasn't let people know that that could happen. What's your take on that, Chris? <laughs> well, I think, you know, first of all, honesty is the best policy. Uh, but now we're in a situation, or at least Tesla's in a situation, where uh, non-vehicle-related hardware is uh, could cast doubt on the vehicle hardware. Uh, maybe not for the, the diehard Tesla fans, but for other people. So... Uh, hopefully for Tesla, they get it straightened out. But I mean, I guess for their their shareholders, they're they're hoping for a resolution more than sooner rather than later, I should say. Yeah, well, it's interesting to have the Security and Exchange Commission take a look at you, especially given the immense value of uh, Tesla on the stock market. Of course, they are already facing a federal safety probe. This has to do with their driver assistance systems that they kind of are intent about calling self-driving systems. They're not really. Uh, that strikes me as a bit of an issue just right there. Yeah, you know, I think people will buy what you sell them. And if you're selling them a what you're calling full self-driving, they're probably going to try to treat it that way, even uh, at, to the detriment of their safety and others. Uh, you know, I think that one of the things that the probe is is looking at with Tesla, at least in that regard, is, you know, whether they're doing enough to monitor the drivers. So I think they, they've got a lot of battles to fight on uh, plenty of different fronts. So uh, for them, it'd probably be ideal just to be building cars at this point in time and not fighting so many different legal legal battles. Yeah, I guess the good news for them is their war chest is, <laughs> is pretty fat. Um, they do have a, a big market capitalization, and I guess that translates into uh, power out there. But uh, we'll see how that unfolds, and we'll see what happens with the uh, SEC probe of Tesla. On another front, maybe equally dramatic, is what's been going on at Volkswagen. Uh, its CEO, Herbert Diess, has been embattled. I, lo I love the term embattled, don't you? <laughs> when somebody is having problems, they call them embattled. He certainly has been, and there have been people, uh, especially in the unions, uh, the Volkswagen unions, that have been calling for his ouster, but it looks like he's going to stick around. He's going to stick around, but, uh, you know, get his wings clipped a little bit. It looks as if a Volkswagen is going to give more power to the Volkswagen brand chief, a guy named Ralph Brandstater. Uh, he will join the management board. That's where all the power is at, at Volkswagen. And Dies will focus on strategy. I'm not sure what that means. Uh, if you're focusing on strategy, are you looking over the horizon while somebody else is doing the day-to-day? -day? Maybe that's what they're doing, is kind of uh, easing him out in that manner. There's been a lot of squabbling be between the labor leaders and Volkswagen management about where they're going to go, particularly with uh, electric cars. And it's just been kind of a mess, hasn't it? I agree. You know, it's kind of an interesting situation with labor leaders sitting uh, in such position of power and working with, with Volkswagen at such a high level. Uh, you know, I think one of the things that got him in trouble, if I'm not mistaken, in the first uh, place was mentioning mentioning uh, future job cuts, which uh, started the whole ball rolling. So uh, it's an interesting situation for, uh, from an American standpoint. You know, obviously things uh, operate a little bit differently here. So um, I'll be looking to see how this plays out. If you want labor peace, if you want things to go well, I don't know that you go public with the idea of cutting something like 30,000 jobs or the <laughs> the possibility that that could happen. Uh, maybe you keep that under the radar at least until you do it. And I don't know that they want to do it or we're going to do it. But when you bring that up, a lot of people get very testy about it, and especially the, 
the uh, labor unions who have incredible sway in, in Germany. Uh, and as you mentioned, they're on the board of directors uh, of Volkswagen and other car makers. So uh, it's an interesting situation there. Another interesting situation is what the uh, various car makers around the world are doing about this microchip shortage that we're seeing. Apparently, a lot of the manufacturers had been buying their microchips through a, a third party as opposed to from the manufacturers of microchips and, uh, and semiconductors. And I think this, this whole brouhaha that we've experienced in the fact that billions of dollars in inventory are tied up because they can't be built because they don't have microchips um, has forced some rethinking of this, including the idea that many manufacturers are going to go directly to the makers of microchips. In fact, some might actually build semiconductors themselves. I mean, What's your take on uh, what's going to happen on this score, Chris? Well, I think that the automakers are going to be a lot more uh, aware of their global uh, supply chain than they were before. You know, even though it sounds silly to say, given the size of some of these companies, but, uh, you know, companies like G General Motors and Ford have produced microchips in the past and have actually stopped to, f to focus on other things. So I think it's, uh, you know, smart of them to sort of insource or uh you know, keep an eye on their supply chain as closely as they can. So uh, this is a big eye opener for them. It's surprising that it took uh, such a severe action to get them to to make this uh, this move, but I'm glad that they are so we can avoid future disruptions and I can keep buying cheap old cars. <laughs> yeah, well, I hope we avoid future disruptions. I don't know that it's guaranteed, but I'm hopeful. One of the interesting things that I think some companies are doing, and Ford Motor Company is, is maybe numero uno in this, is they're building vehicles without the chips and then storing them, squirreling them away uh, on the hope, and I guess the belief, that at some point they will get the chips, they can install those chips and then ship those cars. When you think of what it takes to build a manufacturing plant, you basically have to keep those big plants going or it's incredibly expensive as a, as a car company. So you can see why they would build vehicles even if they can't ship them, but it's certainly not the the way they want to do it, is it? Yeah, and no, that, that's the right answer to that. But, uh, you know, the, the slashing of production schedules and, and the reduction of the overall uh, number of days that they're they're rolling the factory lines, that it's just huge costs associated with that, as you said. So it uh, really opened my eyes this year reading some of the numbers associated with the downtime, even just a day or, you know, two days in some in some cases or a shift. So, uh, you know, for them, I, I'm sure they're itching to get back to some sort of stability. Yeah, I mean, you and I could rec uh, retire on the amount of money that is lost if a day's production is lost in one of these big companies. It's just a staggering amount of money. And you can understand why, um, because, uh, you know, cars are expensive consumer products are among the most expensive out there, but they sell in very, very high numbers. So they're uh, made in plants that just churn them out, you know, like they're loaves of bread or something like that. One of the other things that car companies are doing, and I found this interesting too, is they're changing their software so they can use either fewer semiconductors or just less complicated semiconductors. That takes some some doing too, I would imagine. Yeah, I have no perception. You know, when I start looking at the the number of conductors and semiconductors and chips that it takes to run even something as simple as like the heated seats in a car, uh, it's mind blowing. But uh, I'm sure there will be some efficiencies to be found. I think so too. Here's another item before we uh, 
in this segment. Toyota has announced a U.S. battery production plant. That's interesting because Toyota had not exactly been on the forefront of a battery electric vehicles up till now, but they have recently introduced a, a new battery electric vehicle, and now they're going gung-ho uh, gung on a new $1.29 billion battery manufacturing plant. It's going to be called the Toyota Battery Manufacturing North Carolina, which gives you a hint probably where it is, uh, your old home state of North Carolina, huh? Yeah, I agree. And, you know, it's it's a, you say Toyota kind of dragged their feet a little bit. It's interesting to see how quickly they've accelerated to bring everything here onto American soil where they do a lot of their car production already. So uh, I guess it makes sense to have the batteries close to where you're going to be building building the vehicles. It is a, a big deal for Toyota, and congratulations to them, and congratulations to North Carolina. When we come back, we will be road testing a couple of interesting vehicles, including the Subaru Forester and the Toyota Sienna minivan. So stay with us for that. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Nierad with you, and thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris T. Jackie Red with you for road test time on America on the Road. And interesting vehicles, I think maybe perfect vehicles for wintertime, and we're rapidly approaching that. We're rapidly approaching Christmas and wintertime, so uh, we have that to look forward to. I guess we can look forward to it. And great vehicles. Uh, Chris, tell us a bit about the vehicle you were driving. I think it's a perfect main vehicle, isn't it? Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny. We talk about vehicles that uh, stop traffic, and I mentioned Genesis and a couple others that have, have done it. People really dig the Subaru Wilderness, the Subaru Forester Wilderness here. Uh, I think it's something about the uh, body cladding. It's got a lot of uh, black plastic wheel arches and a big bumper and, and beefy wheels and tires. And it's really uh, it's eye-catching. And, you know, it rides higher than a normal Forester, which I'll get into in just a moment. But uh, it's just a really a great-looking vehicle, and it, it does stick out, especially uh, in a sea of, of Subarus, which is uh, which are very popular here. But uh, this is the Forester Wilderness, so this is a new trim uh, for the vehicle. Uh, it's got about 9.2 inches of ground clearance, which improves the, the breakover angle and the approach angle, which are the angles that you can drive up to and over other things, uh, which I'm sure that you appreciate in, in downtown Los Angeles. Uh, Jack? <laughs> I try to avoid oh, yeah. downtown Los Angeles, but I think you're right. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, we got big potholes in downtown Los Angeles, so I guess uh, that might come into play there. <laughs> yeah, that might be a good idea. It's a good idea here, too, because our roads stay uh, pretty chewed up. But under the hood, it's got a 2.5 liter uh, flat four cylinder engine, flat four, uh, with just about 182 horsepower, 176 pound feet of torque. Uh, if that doesn't sound like a lot of power, it's not. It's uh, it's not a, a thrust that you're going to get any sort of thrill out of in this vehicle, but it does a good job at moving it down the road. Uh, it's paired with standard all-wheel drive and a continuously variable transmission. And Jack, I know that you drove the Outback Wilderness. I want to get your thought on how the CVT performs in sort of a, a trail environment there. I, th I think it performs okay. I think you and I, well, I, I won't speak for you. I guess I'll speak for me. Uh, I think I prefer a geared transmission in that kind of situation. I always feel like they're they're patching this continuously variable transmission to do things that it, maybe it wasn't really built to do really well. One of the things it's built to do really well is provide great fuel economy. It tailors ratio to what you need from the engine at that particular moment. That's great. It helps the engine operate in the right rev band, uh, the most efficient rev band. So that's all good. For things like off-roading, I, I don't know that it's the 
primary thing you want to have. Yeah, I think I, I agree with that. In fact, I know I agree with that. Um, however, Subaru has changed the setup of this a little bit. So it's got what they're calling a lower initial gearing. It's not a first gear. Uh, but what that does, it makes it a little bit quicker than the the standard Forester. It also gives it a 3,000 pound tow rating, which is pretty good for such a small vehicle. Uh, one thing I want to note is that a lot of people are looking at this or probably will look at this and think uh, this will be great for overlanding. It'd be great for camping or spending the night out in the woods. And if you look at the roof racks, and that might be tempting to throw a tent up there, I will say that it's only able to handle 220 pounds while it's sitting still. I'm sorry, while it's in motion and 800 pounds while it's parked. So if you and you know somebody else in a tent and some of your gear goes up there, uh, you're going to get pretty close to that, that, that rating. So um, beyond that, though, I do think that the interior space is very great, very good. So it's got uh, water repellent sort of uh, utility seats, I'll call them. They're not quite nylon. They're not quite synthetic leather. They're somewhere in between. Feels really nice, durable. It's going to be easy to clean when you're out in the woods and get mud all over the place. Uh, the back seats are plenty spacious. The Forester's roof has always been very tall, and that's been one of its calling cards. So back seat passengers have plenty of space. Uh, and in the back, there's a lot of room for a dog, uh, for your gear. Again, that tall roof makes loading this thing uh, very easy. And it still has a pretty comfortable uh, floor uh, height, so you can load things in without having to lift it up, especially my dog is getting up towards 14 years old, and he's, he's as out of shape as I am. So helping him get into the back is a lot easier. Uh, but, Jack, I want to get your feeling on the wilderness, and, and then I'll hand it back over to you, to you for your review. Well, I like the wilderness that I had. I like the fact that uh, we're seeing these dedicated to off-road vehicles again. I think SUVs were kind of getting very uh, limp-wristed, uh, kind of uh, very tame. Uh, and I think one of the things they offer, at least in terms of uh, the aura around them or how you feel about yourself when you're driving them, is the idea that you can go off-road and have all these wonderful adventures. And if you're just driving around in a vehicle that's uh, basically designed just for the highway, you don't have that. So I like the fact that we're seeing uh, vehicles like the Wilderness out there. Great. I totally agree. Well, let me tell you about the Toyota Sienna. I think you'll be uh, excited about this because I know you're a, a minivan fan. And I guess I'm becoming converted. I, the last two vehicles, I tested the Kia Carnival uh, last week. We had it for Thanksgiving week, actually, and we had a great time in it. And, and then back to back, I had the Toyota Sienna pretty much redesigned for 2021 model year. And uh, they did a good job with it. But uh, I think the most exciting thing is the fact that they went to all hybrid. This is only available with a hybrid powertrain. And I think that sets it apart from all the other minivans. And it strikes me the, the minivan segment is getting hotter and hotter. I mean, who would have guessed that would happen? But I really liked the Carnival last time around. I think you liked it as well, Chris, when you were driving the, the Carnival. And and here we have this all-hybrid Sienna that I think really uh, you know, kicks up uh, the whole program pretty significantly. Uh, I had an XLE version. It had synthetic leather upholstery, just what you were talking about when you talked about the Subaru, a very practical kind of upholstery. It has four-zone climate control, all the requisite uh, power features, heated front seats. It's got a sunroof, uh, uh, of course, hands-free operation of the sliding doors, the liftgate, all of that stuff. It's it's really a very useful vehicle all the way around. And it's priced at less than the average transaction price of the average car out there, uh, which is uh, a really good deal. This had, uh, the, the test vehicle that I had, 
had a kind of uh, hybrid second row bench seat. And I am curious as to your reaction to that, Chris. Essentially, it has what amounts to two captain's chairs or can be, they, they feel like two captain's chairs. But then there is this little kind of gap filler uh, where you can put a third person. It's belted for a third person uh, in the second row. And I think that's maybe a, a really good solution. What's your take on that? I think it's a great solution if you you buy the captain's chairs and you find yourself needing that that extra seat in the middle. Uh, you know, I've been and I will continue to be a proponent of captain's chairs and any vehicle that offers them. I'll say the only reason we didn't buy them for my XE90 is that uh, the Volvo captain's chair options didn't have armrests in the middle or we would have gotten those as well. So if you can if you need the extra seat, though, I think that's a great solution. Yeah. Another great thing about this vehicle beyond the uh, hybrid powertrain, it uses a 2.5 liter four cylinder engine and a pair of electric motors. Uh, it puts out 243 horsepower. So that's nice. But you can also get an all wheel drive version that has a, a third electric motor that drives the rear wheels. So the fact that you can get an all wheel drive minivan, I think, uh, sets it apart. Quite a good thing as well. And I think Probably uh, suits it for Maine, doesn't it? I agree. The oh, the old quote unquote Sienna with all wheel drive was absolutely superb in the snow. I, I drove one. Uh, I remember driving it to my daughter's birthday party with full of balloons when in a blizzard where it was snowing sideways. Uh, but the party must go on, and the the Sienna handled it just fine. So I think it's very it's an awesome benefit for minivan buyers. You get the fuel economy of a hybrid plus the all weather capability of all wheel drive. And uh, Toyota's got plenty of experience building hybrids. So I have not yet driven the new Sienna. I've been jealous seeing people drive it, so I can't wait to get my hands on it. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the fuel economy because, of course, with the hybrid powertrain, you're going to get good fuel economy. It's going to be 36 miles per gallon city and highway, same both in city and highway. If you have all-wheel drive, you go down to 35 miles per gallon, so not much of a a loss there, not much of a detriment. I, I would get the all-wheel drive if I could, I suppose. You could compare it to the Chrysler Pacifica. That is a plug-in hybrid. It, when it's being operated, not necessarily as a plug-in, it gets 30 miles per gallon, so that's not as good as the Sienna. Of course, the plug-in hybrid can be operated without using the gasoline engine at all for long periods of time, so that certainly ups your fuel economy. When it comes to the interior of the Sienna, it has an interesting center console where there is a large area underneath the console or underneath the uh, the area where the shifter is uh, where you could put a you know purse or you know even a grocery bag or you know a bag of to go food or something like that it seems very practical it's unusual looking uh, but very very practical and then the uh, the second row seats whether they're captive chairs or not have an incredible amount of forward and backward travel uh, more than two feet of travel, and that makes everything uh, just so much more versatile. Uh, I think that's a, a great situation, too. Uh, what's your take on all this versatility in the Sienna? <laughs> I agree. You know, I think the more different ways that you can configure the interior of a minivan, whether it's sliding seats or uh, if you're Chrysler folding them away or changing their configuration in any way, uh, the more ways you have, the better. I mean, I think you know, you've you've had your kids are older now. They don't necessarily need to tote to tote them around everywhere. But uh, there's so many times where I'll get one kid in the car, and then the dog wants to go, and then we have something we need to pick up at the store. And folding the chairs down and moving things and sliding them is is very very handy. 
Uh, I think that I also like the the under console storage that you mentioned. I think that for small items that you don't use or you don't need right at hand, like hand sanitizer, that sort of stuff, you can slide it right into there and it's ready to go and it stays out of the way. And then for my wife likes those sorts of things too, because she can stick her purse under there. Like if we're going on a hike or going on a, a trip somewhere and we want to walk somewhere and not carry a purse, it just, it hides it right away and it's not, you don't have to d- dig around in the trunk to get it out. So um, big, big bonuses on those, both of those fronts. Absolutely true. So I think uh, all around um, in terms of safety, of course, it's a top safety pick from the insurance Institute for highway safety. So all that's good. Uh, a lot of uh, safety and, driver assist systems and you know pretty good infotainment system i wouldn't say that's necessarily the vehicle's strong suit but all around i think uh they really did a great job with the toyota sienna minivan so uh, i would absolutely consider this if i were looking for a multiple row vehicle right now i think it's a terrific choice and and chris i think you like the uh, forester wilderness quite quite a bit too so uh two winners this time around absolutely agree And when we come back, we will have a winner for you in terms of an interview. We will be interviewing David Partlow. He's the chief engineer on the all-new 2022 Jeep Grand Cherokee. So stay with us for that. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Red with you. And thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack Red back with you. We're in Moab, Utah, a great place to be and an especially great place to be when you're driving the Jeep Grand Cherokee. And uh, with me is David Partlow. He is the chief engineer on the Grand Cherokee. You're the Grand Poobah of the Grand Cherokee. Thanks so much for being with us, number one. Well, Jack, I'm glad to be here. Uh, You know, it's a pleasure and uh, it's a beautiful day here in Moab. It is a beautiful day and we've had a beautiful day driving the Grand Cherokee. And um, we had driven the three-row Grand Cherokee a little earlier, reported about it on America on the Road, and now we're driving the two-row vehicle. Give our listeners the the important things they should know about this vehicle right off the top. So this is an all-new Jeep Grand Cherokee two-row. It has a completely redesigned interior, which is gorgeous and a step above. It has a uh, a new uh, chassis. So in the in the front, we've got a new front suspension. We've actually adopted what we call a virtual ball joint uh, front suspension. And what's really key there is it allows us to tune the links independently, whether it be for comfort for steering, for handling, and and it allows us to produce a a very dynamically pleasing vehicle. It is, and it is all of that, and I had a chance to drive it, so I can report to that firsthand that it is a pleasing vehicle. Put it into context, what are some of the competitive vehicles you uh, are up against and uh, look to, to outdo? So when we look at uh, when we look across our set, you know, obviously there's the domestic competitors, there's some of the European competitors, and and we really benchmark our performance to the segment. And uh, you know, from a from a driving dynamics perspective, we think we do very well. Right. So you didn't mention any of it, but I will. I uh, probably Ford Explorer is right in there. We're talking about the the midsize SUV range, typically. Yes. And the two uh, rows. Yeah, the two rows. Yep. And uh, for this particular vehicle, of course, and then for the Grand Cherokee family, you're talking about the the three rows, three rows, including rows as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, that kind of puts it in context. And. Well, tell us where you think you outshine these, the competitors. Um, so as I already mentioned, the interior on the Jeep Grand Cherokee is really a step above. If you look at the entire competitive segment, we think this is really a USP, something that we, we do very well in. Um, 
if uh, I've already mentioned driving. So unique selling proposition, I believe, is what you're trying to get across there. That is correct. Thank okay. you for uh, <laughs> explaining that, Jack. Sorry for using the acronym. We're going to probably hear a lot of acronyms as we go through the interview, but that's okay. No that's words. what chief engineers on cars do, and uh, my job is to help explain that. Great. But you're excited about this vehicle for so many reasons. One of the things is, and I think the basic thing is, it's a Jeep, right? I mean, you, you provide Jeepness to this segment, and nobody else can do that. Uh, tell, that tell our listeners what that means. Absolutely. So from a capability perspective, you know, we've done some pretty amazing things. If, if I just think about the driveline, we've added a front axle disconnect. So what this does, you know, Jeep's all about four-wheel drive. Um, what this does, though, is it allows the system to determine when you need to have the front axle connected or disconnected. In some cases, you don't need to have it connected when you're driving down the highway. So to save uh, energy uh, from a fuel efficiency perspective, it disconnects the front axle. So it'll operate as a rear drive vehicle. Absolutely. Yeah. So g going further, we've adopted uh, two active uh, transfer cases, both a one-speed and a two-speed uh, transfer case. And what these really allow the system to do is to check the, the terrain and the surroundings and determine how much torque needs to go to the front wheels, how much torque needs to go to the rear wheels. So it, it's really an active system that's constantly monitoring and optimizing the vehicle performance. And then as you add the Quadra Drive 2, uh, you add a limit uh, electronic, electronic limited slip differential, right? That, and, that yeah. is correct to the yeah. rear to the rear of the vehicle. So now you can uh, spread 100% uh, of the torque from the left to the right. Um, so now you have a system that's sensing, determining where the torque needs to go, and you know you can really sense that feeling of confidence both on road and off road. Right. I mean, virtually all of your competitors are going to have some kind of all wheel drive or four wheel drive version of their vehicle, but they're not going to provide the choice that you have. Talk a bit about the, the choice of four-wheel drive systems that uh, the Grand Cherokee offers. So we have three four-wheel drive systems, QuadraTrack 1 with a single-speed active T-case, QuadraTrack 2 with a two-speed uh, active two uh, active two-speed T-case, and then Quadra Drive 2, which has a two-speed T-case along with the electronic limited slip differential in the rear. And talk a bit about transfer cases for our listeners who probably are not necessarily uh, four-wheel drive aficionados, why that, that's important and what you provide in the transfer case. So what that really does is it mounts to the rear of the transmission, and normally you'd have a prop shaft that goes to the rear wheels to drive the rear wheels. When you insert a transfer case in between, it directs torque to the front wheels, and that's what actually provides uh, the power to those front wheels. Um, we have different control algorithms to determine, you know, we've got the, the five settings for terrain select, whether it's in auto, sport, uh, snow, sand and mud, or uh, rock, and that affects how the torque is distributed by those active T cases. So not that we see, uh, actually we did see some snow in the mountains at Moab. We did, yeah. yeah. But uh, if you were to put the system into snow mode, you'd have a second gear start, uh, which I think everybody could understand is it's just, it, it allows the vehicle to start in the conditions that it's on. Right, without spinning the tires. There you go. Those of us who... Former Midwest, I'm a former Midwesterner, you're a current Midwesterner, but we <laughs> encounter plenty of snow uh, and know how to start it in that. Talk about, you've lengthened the wheelbase a little bit on this vehicle, and it seems, although the vehicle is not much longer, maybe not longer at all in terms of overall length, it's roomier like throughout. Tell us a bit about all sure, of that. Sure, so you've, you kind of uh, touched on a few items. <laughs> so uh, as far as overall length, we've increased the overall length by 3.4 inches. Oh, okay, so there's longer. about 0.4 yeah. inches uh, in the front for the safety cage. 
there is two inches in the wheelbase. And really for the wheelbase, we added one additional inch for the safety cage uh, behind the front wheels. And we added just, just shy of one inch at the second row for knee room, 19 millimeters, um, to provide better passenger comfort. And then we did add one inch uh, rearward of the vehicle to uh, increase uh, interior space. Well, let's, uh, let's talk a bit about powertrain. So our uh, new Jeep Grand Cherokee comes with our tried and true 3.6 liter V6, as well as our 5.7 liter uh, V8. Some of the interesting things on both of those powertrains, the 3.6, we've, we've worked very hard to improve what we called engine stop-start. So what you'll notice, and you probably have your own uh, uh, feelings from the ride today, I don't know if you were in a 3.6 or a 5.7, yeah. but uh, we've improved the tactile response when the vehicle starts up and shuts down to make it more seamless for the customer. And you pretty much don't feel it, which is what you're trying for, right? You're trying for a stop-start system that you don't notice is stopping and starting. A absolutely. The customer didn't ask to be notified mm -hmm. when we're saving uh, uh, you know, fuel efficiency. Right. So it, it's, uh, there's an improvement there on the 5.7. Uh, one of the items that I didn't mention so far is just uh, in the vehicle, we have active engine mounts, which can switch uh, from two states. And what this really allows us to do is it allows us to tune uh, from an idle condition so that where you want to have maximum isolation and dampen and not have that transmitted to the uh, customer uh, to highway speeds where you want something that maybe doesn't trans transmit shake. What those active engine mounts have allowed us to do though is on our 5.7 when you go into a fuel savings mode it allows us to make that that transition also seamless for the customer. And in that situation it's operating on four cylinders instead of eight? Is that, that is correct. correct. Yeah. yeah. And you're one of the few, I think the Dodge Durango, kind of a, in a way a sister vehicle, I guess, of this, uh, this vehicle, is the only other vehicle, I think, in the competitive set that has a V8 engine, am I right? You know, it's something that we're really proud of because that V8 engine gives us a 7,200 pound towing capacity, which is why, you know, we offer that to our customers because what we know is our customers, some of the customers really want to be able to tow and, and they really like that engine choice. Well, and there is a three row version of this vehicle as well that you introduced earlier. We got a chance to drive it earlier in Michigan. Yep. Probably talk to you about it then. Yeah, yeah. so I, I think uh, there were a number of the, of the team members there in June at our chassis, Chelsea Proving Grounds. Right. And uh, we had the opportunity to drive the Grand Cherokee L, which is the three row version, um, both on a, uh, I'll say a public road section or a road section, as well as we actually created an off-road section uh, to allow, you know, the different journalists to evaluate it and, uh, you know, uh, see the capability off-road. Well, this is a Jeep, so it's going to have really strong off-road credentials, right? At the same time, a lot of times it's going to be driven as a suburban station wagon in a lot of ways, right? So you have to balance those two out, I would imagine. How do you as the chief engineer go about doing that, Dave? So uh, the great thing about the Jeep Grand Cherokee is we have a model for everyone. We start with the Laredo, we move to the Limited. On the two row, we have a unique trim option, which is all about off-road called the Trailhawk. We have the Overland and we have the Summit. So depending on the customer's needs, um, we can get them into the right level of trim that has everything from a, a very capable SUV with you know incredible on-road uh, manners as well as interior to uh, a top-of-the-line system that has many features and really sets itself apart um, from the competition. And talk quickly about trans uh, transmission and then we'll go on to... Uh 
Okay, it's our uh, eight-speed transmission, which is uh, should be familiar uh, to our customers as we've used it in the past. It's certainly uh, familiar to me. <laughs> <laughs> so it's tried and true, and we uh, have continued to use it on the on the new Jeep Grand Cherokee. Yeah, very, very, very good. Makes sense. Well, infotainment, the, uh, the whole connectivity, everything inside the car has become more and more important. Tell our listeners a bit about the, the story you have on, on the Grand Cherokee. Sure. So the great news there is there are six uh, screens. There are up to six screens in the new Jeep Grand Cherokee uh, two-row. There is a 10-inch cluster. There is a 10-inch uh, uh, heads-up display. There's a 10-inch center stack radio. There is an available 10-inch passenger screen. And what's really nice about the passenger screen is you can, there's several different features. One, you can use it as a navigation platform. So, you know, when you're driving down the road, your uh, partner who's sitting in the Yeah, my wife is tense when she navigates. She's always <laughs> afraid she's going to give me the wrong direction, but she's the navigator. So having that right in front of her, I think, is probably a... A boon. Yeah, so actually, you have the ability to access the navigation. You can put in a new destination. You can send it to the, the center stack radio. Um, all while you're driving, you don't have to pull over. Um, some uh, additional features, uh, it includes entertainment in the passenger screen. So you can port some of the entertainment from the front seat. Or you can uh, look at the cameras around the vehicle to see if you know there's anything near your vehicle. Right. So if my wife is streaming something at home, she's watching something on TV at home, uh, streaming on, on TV, and then goes into the car, she could do what? So the beautiful thing is we've partnered with uh, Amazon Fire. And uh, now you can stop streaming something in your house, get into a vehicle equipped with rear seat entertainment, pick right up where you were when you left off, and you can watch it live in the vehicle while you're going down the road. Now, can it be watched also on the passenger side display? Absolutely. Um, so the way the system works is there's two independent screens in the rear, so they can stream independent media, and the front passenger screen can control either and watch either. Ah, interesting. It seemed like we were going to a point where maybe rear seat entertainment wasn't going to be that important because so many people are carrying around devices. And how have you decided that, uh, but this maybe changes that around. What, what's your take on rear seat entertainment these days? You know, it's funny as a dad, you know, th this is really a, a game changer because I had those old spinning media systems and my kids who are now 15, they loved them, right? And there was a period of time where I thought spinning media would never go away. What's, uh, what's interesting is you're right, they did go to their devices, whether it be an iPad or a laptop computer. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited to say I had my kids in this vehicle and they said, Dad, this is the best rear seat entertainment ever. What should our listeners know about the Grand Cherokee, particularly the, the two row that we're driving uh, this time around that you think they don't know or is it most important for them to know? So the, the things that I, I would uh, make sure that our, our, our listeners know is, one, it's all new. We've adopted an entirely new platform. We've uh, improved fuel economy by one mile city, one mile highway on the 3.6 all-wheel drive. Mm -hmm. uh, we've upgraded the um, interior, as I've already mentioned. It has a plethora of safety features to help keep you safe and sound. It can uh, have, it has an array of capability, everything from the drive lines that we've talked about, the water fording, which uh, is now 24 inches. So in case you're finding yourself in a monsoon or in a, in a flood, um, you know that you have the capability to get through it. 
And, and really the technology is there. We've already mentioned the rear seat entertainment, the passenger screen, and I know you had, uh, had the opportunity to experience the Uconnect 5, which is five times faster. And uh, we've really worked to make it, to minimize the number of selections you have to make to get to your you know, desired uh, application. Well, thanks so much for being with us. We really do appreciate it. Thanks for sharing all of this about the new uh, Jeep Grand Cherokee. We appreciate you being with us. All right, Jack. Thank, thanks for having me on. And stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road for our final segment in this week's show. It is the listener question segment. We always love taking your listener questions. We like helping you out by giving you our answers, our opinions. We think they're of some value. We hope so. Uh, I know Chris's are. Mine, eh, maybe not so much. No, I think mine maybe okay too. But uh, here is a question that I have for Chris, and I'm kind of springing it on him, so we'll see how he responds. This is from Sammy, Sammy with an I, so it's probably a female, in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Sammy asks this, with fuel prices way up, I've been thinking about buying a new car that gets better fuel economy. Do you have thoughts for me on this? I do have a bunch of thoughts on that, and I will say that it's unfortunate if you have to buy a car right now that you're going to be fighting against everybody else looking for the most desirable models. It's also unfortunate that when fuel prices go up, people tend to look at, when people are shopping for cars, smaller, more fuel-efficient vehicles and fewer of the larger SUVs, which everyone tends to buy up uh, as quickly as they can get them anyway. Uh, I will say that if you can wait, uh, I would wait until at least the middle or the end of next year to see if things start to to slow down a little bit and make things uh, better. But if you're absolutely in the market and you have to buy one right now. There are deals to be had. There are lease deals to be had. Just be comfortable flexing your expectations and your wants uh, to pick up something that might not be the color or the configuration that you're looking for. I've got to agree with you in so many ways, Chris. I think, though, that to people to buy a new vehicle to save on gas and expect that to save you money is kind of a fool's errand. It rarely works out that way. That's my advice to Sammy, and uh, I think you gave Sammy some good advice as well. And that is our show for this week. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks to Chris Teague for co-hosting and lending his expertise to the show. He always does a terrific job. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I will say, if you like what you heard and you want to join us again, head to sportsmapradio.com. On the Saturday radio schedules, you can find our podcast listing, uh, and you can listen to us wherever you want. Absolutely, wherever you want. Uh, And that's the beauty of America. Uh, And this is America on the Road. So thanks so much for being with us. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Nerad saying thanks for being with us this time around. And please join us again next week for another edition of America on the Road. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at MercuryInsurance.com. And if you're looking to buy a new car, a used car, or just want automotive information, go to DrivingToday.com. Driving Today is filled with the latest automotive information, including the America on the Road podcast, So check that out on drivingtoday.com. That's drivingtoday.com, the official website of America on the road.